Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing out there? Everybody's okay? Good? <clears throat> You're much better than me, I think. Uh, anybody ever have that allergy about August, that ragweed, whatever it is? Yeah. I asked for a spittoon, but they wouldn't give it to me here on this side. Probably for a good reason, but great to see you guys, and I'll try to get you out early with a bad voice. <laughs> Good luck on that, all right? <laughs> we always want to take a moment and welcome everybody over in the video venue and all those online that are listening in here at 1130. Would you make them feel welcome? So glad to have all you guys with us, every one of you. And uh, I hope you have tomorrow off on Labor Day weekend. That's always a good thing to be able to have a little bit of a time off. Uh, I, I know uh, time off is always kind of an odd thing. I remember I was coming back from Illinois a few years ago around Christmas time, just before Christmas, and visited my family, stopped and got a little gas on the road and was coming on over uh, before we'd get for our uh, ton of Christmas Eve services, you know. And uh, the, the lady who was kind of getting me the Diet Coke and the bag of chips at the gas station, ringing me up on that, she was on the phone at the time, and it was really funny. She was just complaining. She said, you know what? I have to work this Christmas Eve again, and I just said, I've about had it with this place. I had to work last Christmas Eve. Okay, well, I got to go. Somebody's here. He got off the phone, and I couldn't resist. I just said, lady, I haven't had Christmas Eve off in 40 years, you know? And then, then I explained it to her a little bit, how I have a ball on Christmas Eve with a ton of your closest friends on Christmas Eve honoring God. It led to a pretty good conversation. Well, the reason I mention that is on this holiday weekend, what we want to look at in, in the Scripture this weekend as we continue in this series about tough love is to understand... <clears throat> I'll do that from time to time, to understand Jesus had a holiday too, and how did he show tough love to somebody that really needed to feel his love? Something about holidays, when you pull back just a little bit and you think, okay, uh, things are a little bit different, we'll do something maybe different this weekend, you know, we got a little time off. And he used this time off in a very productive way. Now, if you have a Bible you want to turn in John chapter 5, I'll be out of the New Living Translation. You want to watch it on the screen? That's great. Uh, or if you uh, have a, a, a Bible app on your phone, those things are handy. You go right ahead and, and dial that one on up. However, you could be doing something else, but I'll never know. So that's all right. You go right ahead. But uh, as, as we talk about the series we've been in, I really appreciate the way Nathan had put that together too weeks ago, he talked about Jesus and this tough love of loving people through their tough circumstances and what that really looks like. We talked about Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee a couple of weeks ago, and he made an appointment with Jesus. Last weekend was the woman at the well. She bumped into Jesus in the heat of the day, and it was just those two having a great conversation. But this weekend, it's about a fellow on a religious holiday, and he's, uh, <clears throat> he's really in a very difficult situation, and he's been sick for a long, long time. Now, we want to do three things today. We want to be able to take a look at the steps that Jesus took so we can take those steps, or we can realize when he's taking those steps to us with tough love. We want to understand some of these defining moments because we want to let God change our heart and us allow him to change other people as, as we share his love with them. And then we want to look at one thing at the end, and that simply is to understand that Jesus follows up really well. He follows up when we usually mess up, and that, that's the time that we need his follow-up in our life. So when tough love 
Acts is the focus that we'll have. And uh, I remember years ago we had a, <clears throat> a series called The Day Northside Told the Truth. And somebody said, well, have you been lying to us all this time? No, 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 no. We just want to give you the rest of the 10% of the truth here of what we're really up to. Our hope and our desire, as you well know, if you've been here any amount of time, is to connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ. Would you say that with me? Connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ. So we're absolutely up to something. Our hope is that you'll hear about Jesus. Our hope is that you'll begin to know him and trust him and see how he is God's only son, our savior, and the only hope for forgiveness and the only hope of heaven. And our hope is that you'll want to be a part of his family, and we'll get to take the elevator up, and every floor we stop on the way to heaven, we'll be able to help somebody else understand who he is as God draws them. And that's what we're up to today. That's what Jesus was really up to. So let's take a look at how he took his first steps of tough love. Uh, verse 1 in this passage in John 1, uh, pardon me, John 5 says, how afterward Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Just like we said, it was a holiday weekend. So you get to check this one off really good. You can show tough love the way Jesus did by simply showing up. <laughs> he showed up at the religious festival. This friend said that 90% of success in life is just showing up. You, you, you want to do a good job at work? Just come to work. <laughs> you're, you're well on your way to do that. Show up and step up. And that's what Jesus did. He simply showed up and he was there. If you know the story about Thomas, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. And before he had gone back to heaven during that 40-day period, and Thomas wasn't with him at the time. Uh, we don't know what he was doing. Home Depot, Chiller's Run, I don't know what he was doing. But he was gone and when Jesus left, and then all of a sudden the, Thomas comes back, the disciples say, you won't believe what just happened. And they were right. He couldn't believe it. He just couldn't get his head around that because he missed that. Jesus didn't miss opportunities. And he doesn't want to miss an opportunity in your life or mine to have a teachable moment, to have a moment that he truly becomes more uh, more diligent in his tough love, that we feel that as we allow him to do that within our heart and life. It's been said that in church growth uh, writings today that the people that come to church that used to be four out of four, <clears throat> the people that we would say every time the doors are open, they're always there, due to the busyness of our, our society today, even uh, as Christians, it's at best 2.5 of those who were four out of four. And that's a lot because we are inundated with everything that we need to do and many things we feel we need to do. And many people miss out on and see this, what can happen when we miss this great opportunity to be with God's people. Jesus said, when two or three are gathered together, I'm right there in their midst. So you're in good company. You showed up today. You're going to mess up traffic in about a half an hour, but you showed up today. And God blesses that. Now, verses 2 and 3, it goes on, says, inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda, five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And they all laid on the porches. So in this religious holiday, <clears throat> they're gathered together at a place called Solomon's Colonnade. And there's pool, 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 pool. And there's porch, 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 porch. And it's really amazing what, what went on because 
a lot of sick people would go and just, that was their place of comfort. The second thing Jesus does is he not only shows up, he hangs out. He hangs out with people who need him. He's not afraid of your hurt or your pain or your tears or your anger or your whatever it might be that makes you feel at odds with him. He's okay with all of that. He loves to be around people who are messed up. So we all need to feel very comfortable in his presence because he wants us to feel comfortable in his presence. I remember the first time I saw Gone with the Wind. Uh, I'm guessing most everybody has seen that. I mean, isn't that a long movie, four hours? That's a two-bag-of-popcorn thing for me, all right? Buy the big one with the free refills on that. And I remember as a kid, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and seeing that movie, I, I saw on the screen, the big screen, the silver screen, you, you, you see this scene of what they call the train yard, where all the wounded soldiers from the Civil War are just shot, bleeding, dying, and they don't know if they're going to make it. And here's Scarlett O'Hare out there. She's kind of a little Band-Aid here, there, a little First Aid here. They're doing the best she can. But the, the way they did the cinematography of that, they, they showed it up close, and then it just... It just broadened out, and you just saw the, the, uh, just the wideness of all the people that had gathered together that were hurting. It was kind of like that. Jesus just wasn't hanging out with a couple people on crutches. He was hanging out with the multitude of people that were there for this holiday, but they felt this was the only safe place they could be, pretty well away from everybody else. Jesus' his first sermon the hometown boy right there in Nazareth, and they, they give him the nod. They let him say, you go ahead and read his scripture today. And when it came time for his first public sermon, as he began his ministry, he quoted Isaiah 61. It won't be on the screen. I want to read it for you. Listen to see how comfortable the Messiah one day would be with hurting people. He read this verse. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. See, what Jesus did was he was able to make those people feel very comfortable with him, and they knew he was there, and they knew they were cared about. Now, what I want to do now is a little different, and that is because there's a thing in in Scripture called a textual variant. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Say it with me if you wouldn't mind. Textual variant. In other words, what that means is in the King James translation, that was written in the 1600s in Shakespearean English, all right? The hithers and the tithers and the whosoevers and all verily verilies, all those kinds of things in that language. Now, 
What happened in the 1940s was something incredible because something was discovered in the Holy Land area called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls were all of these copies of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, in all this pottery tucked away in a cave as a shepherd boy just was throwing rocks one day. And all of a sudden, clink, he heard something break and there he went in and he discovered all of these old manuscripts. What that gave us was all the manuscripts almost a hundred years old from when it was originally written. Up to that point, uh, they had been much older. So all of a sudden, we begin to find some things, and uh, as the Word of God is authoritative and true, sometimes we discovered that the transmission of that, hundreds of years later, that, uh, one of the people who would copy it added a little something. Now, verse 4 is a textual variant, and it's something that's added. If you have a King James Version, it'll be there. If you don't, it won't. So I want to take a moment and read that to you, because this was one of the, uh, those who would have copied who added this little part in, and then it became aware that it was added. It's simply, here's the guy at the pool. Everybody's there at the pool, at the sheep gate. Here's Jesus, and ever, nobody can walk or get around. And here was their thought, it says, verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool, that's what people thought, and troubled the water. It was really an intermittent spring. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatever disease he had. Now, desperate people at that time began to have desperate thoughts and feelings, all right? This would have been the song of the era around the pool, if you don't mind. Yeah. Bring me a little Stevie Wonder any day, you know? Just love that. This was their thought. They, they couldn't figure this out. They saw some guy get in the pool. All of a sudden, the water's bubbling, and they said, ah, there's an angel in there. You can't fool me. And they became very superstitious. Isn't it amazing how that was just a perfect fit, wasn't that, you know? Oh, no. Now, thanks for indulging me just a moment on that. <clears throat> but that, that was the feeling of the day. And one of the writers said, people need to know that. Now, here was a song that's truly born out of this passage. It's an old spiritual. It feels like we're in a smoky bar, but that's okay. Let's listen. Anybody ever hear that song? Wade in the water. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, it's, it's a killer song. And here's a little catch on it, because God's going to trouble the water. See, that was a song that was born out of longing. And they're just saying, oh, we're desperate for somebody to do something. And, and all of a sudden, if they saw somebody get better, the superstitious part came over them. And they said, I bet that's what it is. That's what it is. And, and, and that just became the, the path of the day. And we'll find out. And not everybody get in the pool on time. Why, why would God just kind of, okay, you, but not you. Okay, you, but not you. Why would that happen? But that was the thought, and that's the background that we have. Now, we move to verse 5. In verse 5, the Bible says, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. 38 years sick. Now, he appears to not be able to, to move. He's not mobile, but he doesn't say he's lame. It says he's sick. See, the problem with the pool is everybody at the pool knows everybody at the pool. 
They all know one another. And Jesus now takes the time to see what this guy's situation is. Like we said a couple of weeks ago, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, Jesus spoke to him for what he was. He was a Pharisee, and yet he had a longing to know who Jesus really was. The woman at the well, Jesus knew she's not going to any marriage retreat anytime soon. She's signing up for divorce care. She has been left and abused five different times, five different marriages, and yet she was open and honest with him, and he, he knew her story. Here's what Jesus does. He discovers the guy's backstory. He, he, he knows those few years in your life and my life that we wish never happened, that we wish we never would have acted the way we acted. He knows, he knows the hurt behind our exterior. He understands those things that are going on deep in your family of origin that have left you the way you kind of are, and you've had a difficult time navigating a big hand for our friend Sam Thomas in the glass of water. Ah, thanks, big guy. Talk amongst yourselves for a minute, okay? <clears throat> Bless you, my child. Right. Anybody remember where we were? Okay, I think we're about right there, okay? All right. See, Jesus discovers the guy's backstory. And he understands what's really going on, and he cares deeply. And, and he doesn't pretend, and he doesn't sugarcoat it or anything like that. See, the beauty of knowing someone's backstory is in a life group or a support group or just a godly friendship, you begin to have community. And, and all of a sudden, you feel cared about. All of a sudden, you can become more honest with one another. And I want you to know that today, Jesus absolutely knows your backstory. He doesn't think you have to tell everybody, but he knows it, and you need to know that he knows it. So he knows what you've been through. Turn to your neighbor, if you wouldn't mind, and say, he knows what you've been through. <clears throat> Turn back and say, and he knows what you're up to. Right? <laughs> he, knows, he knows what we're up to all the time. Now, let's move on. Those are pretty simple steps. Jesus shows up, he hangs out, and he gets to know the story. He gets to know about this guy before he approaches him. That is basic stuff. One, two, three, in tough love. If you want to be able to, to love someone the way Jesus loves us, and we have to understand where he's coming from as he approaches us. He's coming with pure motives. Now, this is how Jesus defines the moments of tough love. Verse 6, it says, when Jesus saw him, this guy had been sick 38 years and knew he'd been ill a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Would you say that question with me? Would you like to get well? I think the answer is yes, but I don't know. I mean, it, it seems rhetorical. It seems like an unnecessary question, but it's very necessary. All right? I don't know who it was in the 90s, the first person who ever said, duh, you know, but whoever said that, remember duh, people remember that? Anybody remember psych, you know? I think duh and psych came out about the same time, you know? Psych, I'm just kidding, duh. Why in the world did you ask me this? He didn't disrespectfully say, duh, no. He had to listen to the question, and Jesus asks the right question. I, I wonder as I look at that, I say, why didn't he say, you want to walk, you want to run, you want to jump, you want to, he didn't say that. 
He didn't say, you want me to help you in the pool? You know, it looks like nobody's hanging out with you. You know, uh, I'm here. Hey, you want to get together and talk about this? You're probably pretty depressed for four decades here, and uh, I got time. I think maybe two, Steve, three, you know. He, he didn't do that. Why? Because not everybody who walks is well spiritually. And not everybody who's well can walk. The issue is, do you want to be well? Do you want to be whole? Or do you just want to have the appearance of being okay? You see, Jesus asks these things on a much deeper level, and he gives this guy the opportunity to express his desire, and he has to consider, okay, depending on how I answer this, I'm guessing there's some responsibility that goes on along with being well. Ah, okay, if you want your marriage to get better, it's, there's a premium to pay on that, all right? If you want your health, there's a premium on that one. You want your family, you want your job, you want your money, you want all those things to be healthy and holy before God. Matter of fact, one of the things that can happen that this guy had to consider was, I will lose my present identity. I won't be the guy that everybody says, good to see you again. You know, I hate that you're going through all this. And, and in other words, he kind of had, if you will, the lifestyle of the not-so-rich-but-at-least-I'm-famous with Robin Leach, okay? Nobody remembers that. I should do this to an older crowd, okay? There's something about being able to understand that question. Do you want to get well? Or you just want to get by? John Eldridge says, great Christian author, that addictive behavior... We can easily get addicted to all sorts of stuff. And it's usually a physical substitute for a spiritual problem. And we'll all wrestle with that in one way or another. In other words, we just say, yeah, I, I know, but th this is kind of who I am. Or, well, I'm not that bad. And there's all sorts of justification that can happen and go on that way. He had to face that. Now, in verses 7 through 9, here's his response. And he tells Jesus, he says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. See, that superstition is still going on. Someone else always gets there before I can text them, and they're ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, began walking, and this miracle happened on the Sabbath. We'll talk about that in just a second. Here's a guy, and he feels helpless. And when you feel helpless, you feel hopeless. And those two things seem to go together, and they are kind of joined at the hip. Jesus asks for the impossible. He's not saying, you need to try harder. He's not saying, don't worry about it so much. This happens to a lot of people. And he doesn't say anything except what the guy needs to do and needs to hear and needs to get a hold of. He asks him, and then he prescribes what he needs to do. I've got a good friend, John Walker, a psychologist. I've uh, uh, been friends for such a long time, great friend. I'm on his board, Blessing Ranch, quote him from time to time. And I'm talking with him last week, you know, on the phone on the back porch saying, John, I've got to preach on the tough one, the one that you do 40 hours a week. Do you want to get well in a counseling? 
one kind of a thing. Help me with this. The more we talked about this very familiar passage and yet very troubling passage, all of a sudden he began to kind of let me know. He said, George, you got to see what Jesus is really doing here. He's, he's good economy of words. He gets to the point. He doesn't waste this guy's time. And, and he really gets after him, but he does it in such a gentle way. He says something that would appear to be very harsh, but it is just enveloped in this gentle spirit. I said, oh, are you saying he, gets in his, he doesn't get in his face, but he gets in his space? He said, yeah, something like that. I want you to know that's what Jesus does. He, he doesn't like come out of the dugout like a manager with an umpire and just give you all sorts of fits. And just, I mean, he doesn't do that. We may have it coming, but he doesn't do that. But he does get in our space and say, you know what, here's the truth, and you need to accept this. You need to consider that. And then all of a sudden, we can begin to heal. We can begin to, to align ourselves back up with God on that. He gives spiritual direction. Spiritual direction. Now, I've always wondered, why did he say, take up your mat? Don't we have a custodial crew? They can pick that up, you know? <laughs> Can't you just kind of leave that behind? Don't you just want him to take off and, you know, just kind of charge and then to, a, to a, a little bit of a trot and then a gallop and a victory lap around the whole place, you know? W wouldn't that be what we would try to do probably? But that wasn't the point. It wasn't about walking. It wasn't about mobility. It was about wholeness and wellness in his heart and in his soul. Jesus said, you don't need a bubble bath. You need a holy path to walk and follow me. See, he always gives spiritual direction. Told Nicodemus, you need to be born again. It's from above. Told the woman at the well, uh, bring your husband. Let's talk. And he had to see, will she tell me the truth or not? And she did. Another time, Jesus tells the rich young ruler, uh, he says, uh, you know, if, you, if you're wanting in and you think you've done everything right up to this point, then you only have one thing that's keeping you from heaven, and that is you've got a lot of money. Sell it all. Give it to the poor. Don't just hide the assets. Pick them up later. No, no, no. Let go of that. And then you come and follow me. i got 12 jerseys of these guys. You're number 13. Come on in. And the Bible says he, uh, he had a little too much money. Or maybe the money had him. Jesus always gives spiritual direction when he's reinstating Peter. After Peter has said, I don't know who this guy is, Jesus says three times around the same campfire, do you love me? Well, sure, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Sure, Lord. Then feed my sheep. And the third time, he says, not just a godly love. He says, Peter, are we even friends? Do you love me like a friend? Because you didn't act like it. Kind of gets Peter right in the heart, and he, <clears throat> he just says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And then he spiritually directs him again, then feed my sheep. I have a feeling Jesus has to repeat himself with me once in a while. Doesn't he have to do that with all of us? Doesn't he have to say, you know what? Uh, Lord, what should I do? I told you last time. You're going to do it or not, you know? I'll let you keep thinking about that. I'm going to put some other people in your life that will, will remind you that. But he tells this guy, leave the mat. Roll it up like you're never going to use it again. I don't know if you've heard the story of Hernando Cortez uh, from Spain in the year 1511. 
He was an explorer and a conquistador, a conqueror. And he decides he's going to go and take back a a bunch of the treasure of the Aztec nation. And that had been an empire for 600 years. So he recruits 500 soldiers and 100 sailors, and he gets 11 ships. And he goes, and they're going to take some of that back. And once they get there, they realize this is really going to be hard. We are way outnumbered. All of a sudden, some mutiny breaks out, and some of the guys are getting on the boat, and they're going to head home. You know what Cortez does? He lights a fire on the ships. He burns every ship except one that he had to, by law, return back to Spain. He took away the back door. And sometimes that's what Jesus tells us you and I need to do. Bet the farm. Don't turn back. Put all those eggs in that spiritual basket. Hebrews 12 says, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We always got to keep looking at the one who laid everything down for us. Now, verses 10 through 13 says the Jewish leaders objected, all right? This whole miracle happens on the Sabbath, and they, <clears throat> they kind of interrupt this. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. They don't care that he's healed. They just hate that he's breaking the Sabbath law that they had added to God's law. But he replied, the man who told me said, pick up your mat and walk. Well, who said such a thing, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. Please know, Jesus takes no selfies. Doesn't do it. We can't buddy up and say, hey, Lord, me and you, let's capture this in time. He doesn't stick around. He doesn't wave to the crowd and say, did everybody see what I just did? Oh, no. He takes care of us. He takes care of people's needs. And then he moves. And then he moves on after that. He went to the temple where that man was supposed to go. The law says when you receive a blessing and you're grateful that you need to go to the temple and give an offering and just say, God, I'm thankful for what happened to me today. And Jesus was headed to the temple to see if this is guy, that the guy's going to show up or not. He slips away into the crowd. See, Jesus doesn't draw attention to himself. He wants us to draw attention to him. That's the way that works. He came and he drew all the attention to his father. The Holy Spirit comes and he draws all the attention to Jesus. And he calls us to do that same thing. Now, finally, okay? And don't you love it when a preacher says finally? You know what that means? <laughs> Nothing. It didn't mean a thing, okay? <laughs> it, mean, it means I'm trying. We'll land the plane soon. Now, here's that last part, okay? We got the steps. We've seen some defining moments. Here's how Jesus follow his follow-up steps that take place that we usually forget. Verses 14, 15 says, Afterward Jesus found him, the guy he'd healed, in the temple and told him, Now you're well, so stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. And the man went and told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who had healed him. I, I wonder what he was doing. 
Uh, was there some kind of residual sin, some kind of uh, unholy habit that he had and he'd carried for a long time that was just the fabric of him and it, it, didn't, it didn't, when he started walking, he's grateful and he's given his offering in the temple, but right now he's about to relapse. That's what Jesus does. He comes after you and me so that we don't relapse. If we listen, if we're watching to see how he's trying to interrupt our life again. That's why I love the, the verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, in, in the Christian fellowship that we have, if we see a brother who's in over their head and they're overtaken in a fault, you and I who are spiritual are to go to them and restore them gently in their space, but not in their face. Restore them gently. That's what Jesus does. I wonder what kind of sin this guy had. We can only guess, and it really doesn't matter. Probably shouldn't even guess. But I wonder if he just had a sense of entitlement and he said, wow, it's about time. Something good happened to me. I've had 40 years of bad luck. You know? Or I wonder if he was whining as he gave his offering in the temple. I can't believe how much money I've lost by being unemployed all this time, and now I've got to tip God. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All of a sudden... Jesus is right there in his space saying, you're well. Be grateful for your health and what you have. And don't fall back into some sinful, ungrateful pattern that keeps you away from me. You see, he circles back around. Remember a couple of weeks, Nathan had the, that water skiing thing, a little video of him, you know, splash, getting up a little bit, boom, and then crashing. And, and he said you, they just keep circling back around to give him another chance. Jesus is circling around for you and me. He keeps on doing that. Now, the, the question really is what's our next step? And that is I think there are two kinds of people that are within uh, our group today and, and everywhere. There are people who need the tough love of Jesus. You need to receive that. And then there are people who are in need to funnel that and share that. There's a third type, the very thirsty. I'm back, okay? I want you to think for a moment as we close. And please hang on with me just for a moment. I want you to think, honestly, right now, in this season of your life is the Lord saying, you, you need to hear my tough love again? Or is he saying, no, 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 you know, you're walking with me, you're doing okay. You need to share this tough love and get in somebody's space, but not in their face. Love them the way I love them, truthfully, truth and grace. I want to ask you to do something as we close. If you have an iPhone with a Bible app, would you mind to get that out right now? Because I want to do something a little bit different. And that is, if you have a Bible app, I've got that U version. Anybody have that U version? Oh, isn't that great? Oh, I love that. And uh, I had a fellow talking with after the service, the 945. 
and uh, we, we compare notes once in a while on our aging parents. And he was saying one of the, the most difficult things uh, for them was their, their older parent uh, uh, was losing his eyesight and couldn't read the Bible. And the cool thing about these, you just hit another button and it talks to you, all right? You can go audio on that. I want to ask you to go to Psalm 23, very familiar, the 23rd Psalm. But I want to ask you to, to, to pull up the King James Version, all right? And rather than that be on the screen, or rather than me read that to you, I want us to say it together today because there's something about the 23rd Psalm. David was a man after God's own heart, and he wasn't perfect, and he was, you know, got messed up several times, but, but God still kept circling around with him and using him uh, for his glory. And when you hear David's heart, this is the heart of a, a guy who sings and he prays. He knows God. He walks with God. He's seen God do a lot of neat stuff. But right now, Right now, he needed to express that. Heard a story of Norman Vincent Peale years ago, great positive thinking Christian fellow. And somebody came to him very depressed, and he said, listen, I want to get back with you in a month, but I want you to read the 23rd Psalm out loud six times a day before we get back together. Absolutely changed his whole perspective. If you've pulled that up, would you read it along with me? The Lord is my shepherd not one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, David says, I know who I belong to. I know that he's capable. I know where I stand with him. I know what's at stake. I know what I have to do. I have to take this next step right next to him. And I'm praying this Labor Day weekend is a weekend that you really sense God telling you what to do next. Love that song. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. We'll see you.